Are we doing this? Really? Wait for it. Are we doing this? Wait for it. Ow! What the fuck? WTF. And it's also, eh, what the fuck? What's wrong with me? It's time for WTF. What the fuck? With Mark Marin. Okay, what the fuckers, let's do this. On the show today, uh, Greg Fitzsimmons is going to be with me, and I was with him, as some of you know, on his podcast and his show a week or so ago, but we also put the podcast for my show in the can the same day. So if you have a recollection of what his was like, this is the the other bookend. So uh, so that, that should be good. You know, I promised you an email show. I think it's a good idea. I'm getting a lot of emails, and I'm getting the kind of emails that that I think should be uh, acknowledged and recognized. I appreciate you corresponding with me. I am definitely open to it. As some of you know, I will respond back to you. I don't know if that happens very often, but but because I get a lot of emails from people that are like, I've never written a fan mail email. I've never written anybody. I appreciate what you're doing. I think it's important that we address the audience and uh, make it one big, happy, crazy, dysfunctional, fucked up family of what the fuckers. Uh, before we get into the emails, let me say that, uh, hold on, I got, yep, I, you know, I want my coffee fix. I want to fill my freezer with pounds of, hold on, here we, pow, oh my God, I think I feel something churning in my bowels, justcoffee.coop, justcoffee.coop. Uh, you can also reach that uh, link at WTFpod.com. And if you put WTF in the coupon box, you will get a 10% discount off of coffee. Also, you can get merchandise. We got the merch up there at WTF Pod. Some pretty attractive looking t-shirts. I'm getting stickers. Things are exciting. And again, I'll, as always, want to thank you for the donations. Want to thank you for the subscriptions. Let's get into the emails. I've got a stack of emails here. I wanted to focus on those. I've sort of separated them into general and into what the fuck stories. Uh, let's see what we get through. Uh, these, uh, these first ones I'll read, I guess, what I would call, call general. Uh, this is from Chanel in Georgia. Hi, Mark. Just heard the interview with Caroline, quote, baby happy, unquote, Ray. We now have a new game where my friends and I down a shot every time she says the word baby. Oh, the humanity. Well, you know, I, I see that happen with a lot of people, Chanel. They have a baby and that becomes everything they talk about, all they do. And the one thing I like about uh, Caroline is that she didn't, uh, she doesn't have that attitude of like, look, I've done something great. Can't you just put everything in your life aside because I have a baby? I mean, I lost, a, I lost my brother to kids. I mean, it's, it's ridiculous. You have friends that uh, they have kids. I'm glad they're enjoying their kids. I'm glad they think they're doing something important. But uh, can you spare a few minutes to talk to me? Would that be okay? All right, this one, subject line, fan. Dear Mark, just finished listening to the live cast from L.A. and picked myself up from laughing on the floor 20 minutes later. You've got to do more of these. I'll try to send money to help. Sometimes I think I'm the only one out there, but the audience lets me know it's okay to embrace Twisted from Rhett in Seattle. We are going to do some more at UCB. I will tell you when. I'm hoping to get uh, Dana Gould and Maria Bamford involved in the next one. It was a good time. I'd never done it before. I'm glad it sounded so good. Uh, a lot of people dug it. All right, subject line, hey, dear Mark, first of all, I love your podcast. I find it funny, but I had a what-the-fuck moment involving you. A few weeks ago, I was driving to Lake George, and I made it to Worcester, or Wor Worcester? Is that in upstate New York, Brendan? I don't know. Worcester? Or I thought it was Worcester, Lake George. Huh. Well, anyways, I was driving to Lake George. I made it to Worcester or Worcester, and I turned on your podcast a few minutes into it. I felt a sensation in my tummy. We stopped at a McDonald's, and a few days later, I confirmed that your podcast gives me diarrhea. But I still listen and deal with the bowel trouble from Evan, age 13, and over mass. Thank you. I'm glad I can have that effect on people. It, you know, it, it's, you move people in weird ways. I'm guessing that person was driving through Worcester, if they're from Massachusetts. Yeah, it's uh, was okay, but Lake George is in upstate New York. All right, so he must have been coming up, but I thought Worcester was south of Andover. I don't know. I don't know. I'm just saying that, look, if you can reach one person, if just one person gets you, then you're a failure. No, I, I, I'm glad I have that effect on you. If I, if I can loosen people's bowels, that is some, that's a gift. It's a gift. Uh, greetings from the Red Canuck. Uh, Mr. Mark Marin, Mr. Marin and friends, people in Canada often ask what the fuck too. 
especially when it concerns our southern neighbors' ideas of human decency and health care. I'm talking about the USA. If you didn't know, Canada is that large schizophrenic constitutional monarchy above and beside your fractured republic. God save the queen. What the fuck? Kind regards, Fred from Ontario. Thank you, Fred. We're doing what we can. We're doing what we can. All right, here's an interesting question. Why no black people? It seems to me that comedy is really segregated. Jews, blacks, white trash, they never seem to mix. I mean, clearly there are exceptions. Richard Pryor, Chris Rock, Eddie Murphy. But I bet you wouldn't have Cat Williams on your show. Just an observation. And for the record, I hate Cat Williams. Fernanod in Austin. I have reached out to a few of my black comedian friends. And uh, Wyatt Sinek was going to do the show. He fell ill. Uh, Hannibal Buress is a, a little tired. Keith Robinson bailed on me. I, it's not uh, in, in lack of trying. And to be honest with you, I like Cat Williams. I like Cat Williams. I like his attitude. I like his, uh, his angle. And I don't know why you wouldn't like Cat Williams. All right, this one, subject line, asshole read. That will always get me to read an email. Mark, what the fuck? Also can be used as why the fuck or when the fuck. Yes, I know. In this case, why the fuck are you telling me about the stupid shit in your garage? Also, I don't blame you for asking for donations. Your podcast has become popular, but it already sounds different. Like you were trying too hard. It's much better when it sounds like the closet project you waste all your time on that you are praying will pan out. I need that doubt in you, Mark. It makes you more entertaining. Also, I write you a serious email expecting a response, yet you're more concerned with shitting back and forth with people who think you suck. What the fuck? You suck. Happy? Now answer my last email. I know you have enough time on your hands, you burly douche. Blake. Yeah, Blake, I'll, I'll get right back to you. Subject line, my what the fucks. Mark, man, what's up? Yeah, I'm Canadian, but no, you don't have fans in Canada. <laughs> Maybe you'll change that. I'm a student about to graduate at WSU in Washington State, a biochem major, major and I love the podcast. My what the fucks. And here's a little list, which I kind of liked. Having to take Spanish to acquire a degree in science. What the fuck? Why all the Facebook surveys, people? You are not cool, and survey will never tell you the truth that you are an asshole. Why is there an African-American fixation with Kool-Aid? I'm not a racist, just observant. Seriously. Mishnah Wolf, you're not funny, but you're semi-hot, which is the worst. <laughs> Saw a homeless guy using a pizza box for a briefcase. Megan in Bio 480, you know you want me. What the fuck? P.S. Don't be so fucking insecure. You're funny, man, but sometimes you come off as though you think you're not. Quit sweating it and just own it. Or maybe that's just part of your bit. Not trying to be your mother, but it's driving me fucking nuts. Anyways, good hustle. <laughs> good hustle. I think the Kool-Aid thing is a socioeconomic thing. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, try, not, try to be a little more sensitive. What's, <laughs> what's the... Uh, what's the, uh, the other one? Crystal Light or the... Uh, Sunny D. Sunny D, Yeah. <laughs> Uh, okay, no subject in the subject line. I no longer subscribe to my local newspaper because I read my news online and it seemed environmentally wasteful to have just the papers piling up and then going directly to recycling. And I'm now donating $5 a month to your podcast. I realize that after a year, I will know more about your cat monkey than I will about my local schools, governments, etc. I'm not sure this is the direction the world should be going. Big fan in Seattle, Tom Riley. Thank you, Tom. And Monkey, by the way, is doing well. He made the transition back to, uh, to California, and he's uh, still a happy cat. I'm going to keep him indoors because I'm playing favorites, and I don't want him to get eaten by coyotes, even if it does bum him out. Fonda is on her own. That cat, though, has like a racing stripe. I think that if he was in trouble, he would just take off. Yeah, I, I don't know. He just, I, I just, I don't know. You get attached, and it's not so big a deal to keep him inside. And a lot of cat people are like, dude... Because I say, like, they're indoor-outdoor. If they get eaten by coyotes, you know, that's just the way it goes. They're animals. And I got emails like, you know, no, that means you're a bad cat owner. And it's like, I don't know. Wait, you're bad for letting them out? Yeah. Don't most, I thought most cat people were against the idea of house cats. Like, they wanted them to be able to be free. I'm against the idea of house cats. You ever seen fat, sad fucking house cats that are held hostage to people's, like, sad needs? And they just become these manifestations. I, I, the worst is seeing those cats like look out a window. Oh, like, yeah. Because you're just sitting there like, oh, look at it. Dreaming of, of running free or chasing a bird. <laughs> and all it's got is what's left of that fucking fake mouse. 
<laughs> then that fake mouse, they take all their aggression out on it. It's like Hannibal Lecter. They like dissect it. There's little guts of fake mouse yeah, all yeah. over your house. And you're like, what happened to the tail and the plastic eyes? Uh-oh. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, podcast greeting. Firstly, I love your podcast. I am officially addicted. I've managed to listen to all 12 episodes in two and a half days. Secondly, I like that I'm now considered a what the fuck Easta. And I think it's bullshit that you can't say what the fuck Aryans. So in lieu, you could use what the fuck Tarians. I'd love to hear what else you can come up with. What the fuck tuplets, maybe? <laughs> Last, I love the music choices, Brendan. Thanks, Erica. What the fuck tuplets? Fine, Erica. You're a what the fuck tuplet. Hey, Mark, been following your podcast? No, that's Jimmy Pardo's podcast. Been following your podcast for a few weeks now, and they really helped me through my boredom. You're funny and everything, and my mom thinks so too. Ha ha. People over here have never really heard of you, and I found you on YouTube a while ago, but now I have a bunch of my friends hooked to your podcast too, so we'd really appreciate it if you give a big shout out to everyone in Calcutta. What? Calcutta, following your podcast. Oh, and I'm moving to the States in January, and I really want to meet you to just get an autograph or just be able to say, hey, you know what? I've met Mark Marin. Have you? Thanks a bunch, and keep what the fucking Mona. Calcutta, dude. I got emails from Taipei, from Sydney, Australia. We got an email from a guy who is uh, patrolling Baghdad. Yeah. Yeah, and what about, there was one from someone in uh, Saudi Arabia, too. Saudi Arabia, who liked the rape joke. <laughs> And it took me a while, like, I, what rape joke is he talking about? And it was, I think, the, uh, what was it from? It was with the flamer, with Troy uh, Conrad. Oh, by the way, people, you know, Troy Conrad, Troy Conrad is Troy Conrad. If you don't know whether he's real or not, that's on you. Okay, now here's some what-the-fuck stories. Because, like, a lot of this stuff isn't necessarily funny, but, you, you know, because of the technology, people can get this from all over the world and I'm getting these dispatches, which are pretty, I mean, my life is pretty small. And there's a lot of things I haven't done. I've not climbed Everest. I've not bungee dumped. I've jumped. I haven't jumped out of a plane because I'm one of those people where, you know, some days it's pretty harrowing just going outside and I can only take so much adventure. But this one is uh, just a subject line. What the fuck? Hi, Mark. I just found your podcast while looking for some fun show to keep my English in shape while I'm at home in Columbia. I have one what the fuck moment for you out of many that plagued this city. I went downtown for some university work. It was about a documentary we had to make about the culture in downtown Medellin. The things we saw in a day showed us how crime was totally out of control in this place. We arrived at the San Antonio Park. My dad was mugged there two weeks ago and thrown downstairs. And we found out why the thieves and the police are buddies and they both rule the park like kings. I couldn't believe my eyes. They were actually talking like they were brothers. I swear that if I had a telescopic microphone, they would be discussing who was paying for the rum that night. About an hour after that, we saw a robbery. Some guys jumped another right in front of everyone, and nobody did a thing. One policeman saw it and caught them, made them sit in some stairs for 30 minutes, and then they just walked away and back to the same. What the fuck? Who are they? Their siblings? Are they getting half the damn bounty? Not more than a month ago, my uncle and I were caught on a corner-to-corner -corner crossfire, and I might have taken cover on an old fat lady because I don't even remember well where the hell I did. I'd have frozen there and would have been pierced like Swiss cheese if I didn't have basic military training. We wanted to make a positive documentary about the city, but we almost had our camera stolen. This country is so beautiful and a good part of the population is so friendly that it's sad to see how all those criminals make it hell to live on here. Totally uncontested. What the fuck? Keep up the good work, Mark. I'll promote your podcast here to everyone who will listen, as long as they understand English, of course. Good night, Simon. And as long as they're not dead. Man! I mean, like, the idea that someone's listening to this patrolling Baghdad, and then the idea that this guy's walking outside, you know, caught in some sort of drug crossfire, and the entire system is corrupt. I don't know. Thanks, Simon. Be careful. Oh, this one's kind of funny because... Uh, this is the most, this is a what the fuck experience. This is the most what the fuck experience I've ever had. I can't explain it without getting to Cormac McCarthy and asking him directly, what the fuck? This is crazy. Years ago, I wrote an essay for an English exam. No doubt the result was garbage, but the story was essentially this. A young boy and an old man get into a rowboat and cross a bay to opposite shore. On the beach, they fish, they beach comb. I forget, they spend the better part of the day separated from the crowd. They return before darkness falls, and the main point I made at the end of my short story was that they had not spoken to each other throughout. That was the major point. For some reason, that has always stuck in my head to this day. They didn't speak. Anyway, 
Recently, I read Cormac McCarthy's The Road. Brilliant book. Just beautiful. But 12 pages into the book, I read a passage where an old man and his young nephew row across a lake to a beach on the opposite shore where they search for firewood. They returned before dark and then this line, quote, neither of them had spoken a word, unquote. What the fuck? I kid you not. I Googled the shit of McCarthy. Did he grade exams in Ireland years ago? How did he come up with that little passage? I kind of freaked out a little. I asked my dad what he thought of it. He said, quote, never underestimate the power of coincidence, end quote. There you have it. Never underestimate the power of coincidence. Patrick from the Snot Green Sea. He does, he's done some archiving for us. Patrick, I think really what has happened here is that Cormac McCarthy has stolen your idea that no one has ever thought about two people getting in a boat and going anywhere and not speaking. And I think that you should take as much time as necessary to track down Cormac McCarthy, perhaps email him, accuse him of stealing your idea and that, and that you want to be compensated somehow. I think this should be your life's work. All right, this is a good one. What the fuck? Anyway, here are a recent moment that I experienced. I work at a sort of hip, trendy computer store. You probably know the one. A wide variety of people come in, including celebrities of sorts, whether it be NBA basketball players, musicians in town while on tour, or like yesterday, a porn star. The famous porn star, Jessie Jane, lives in my area, and apparently she comes into the store somewhat frequently, but yesterday was the first time I had dealt with her. Her massive tattooed husband was also present. After I'd finished with her transaction, she gave me her business card. What the fuck? I have no idea why or what she expected me to do with it, but I assume it couldn't possibly be a common practice for her to give that out to the random people who sell her things. Cheers, Cameron. Cameron, you better call. You better call and find out what's up. Maybe this is your big break. I don't know. Is Cameron a boy's name or a woman's name? It could be both. So I don't know where this stands, but... Uh, I think we've got the plot of the next film. Yeah. My computer doesn't work. Who should I call? Ding, ding, ding. Hey, I'm here. Oh, I forgot to wear my pants. Yeah. Oh, by the way, does my iPhone make videos? Yes. <laughs> We're in luck. Let's do this. I once saw a porn star at the airport, and I, I'm not uh, a proud porn guy, so I don't you know, hobnob with porn stars, or, or, or yeah, I, I still have some shame about, about the fact that I indulge in porn occasionally. And there was this one porn star that, at, its, at this point in my life, I was fairly taken with for some reason. And I saw her at an airport and, and I'm not generally starstruck because I've met a lot of celebrities, but I had not really met a porn star. Who was the porn star? I can't remember. It was a while back, but I didn't know what to do because I really wanted to say something. You know, I really wanted to like, you know, but I mean, what, what did you like? What do you say? Like, oh my God, I can't, the way when you take it in the ass and then, and then uh, suck it after. I mean, that is fucking amazing. You're taking it to another level. Can we use that on the podcast? What if you What if you uh, approached her in the way that some annoying fans approach people? Like, you know, I really like the stuff you do, but that one movie you made, I just totally wasn't feeling it. <laughs> yeah. What was going on with that one? I mean, you didn't seem into it. No, I, I actually, what I said was, hey, I, you know, uh, you know I'm, I'm a fan of your work. <laughs> <laughs> like it was John Gielgud or somebody. <laughs> oh, such an idiot. I'm glad that's behind me. Oh, this one's pretty good. What the fuck on the soccer field? So I'm helping my son's soccer league out by volunteering as a line ref. Pretty cool because you actually get to know what the game is about. What with all the offsides and tripping and corner kicks and all. Deal is you have to run up and down the sideline and help out the ref when the ball goes out of bounds by indicating which team gets the throw in. Easy enough. What with all the running back and forth, the league has a rule that spectators need to stand five feet from the sideline. All's well as my son's match gets underway. I'm running around doing my thing when I notice this guy and his son standing right on the sideline. This has happened many times before, and usually I ask the parent nicely to step back so I have room. Never been a problem before. This time, after I ask the guy to give me room, he goes off like a bomb, and I quote, What the fuck? I can stand anywhere I want, you fuck. Now, I'm personally a huge fan of the repetition of the word fuck and calling someone you fuck. I actually thought he was kidding and said something like, no, really, I need the room. Without missing a beat, the guy says, do you want to live? Do you like oxygen, you fuck? The guy was actually threatening my life because I asked him to move back a foot or two. I mean, what the fuck? At this point, I decide he is one crazy motherfucker, and I figure I better just ignore him, which only enrages him further. The coach sees all this and goes up to the guy and says, hey, I need you to move back, league rule, pal. The guy takes it up a notch and says he's going to shoot me, and he's going to remember my stupid fuck white-ass face and shoot me. 
I mean, what the fuck? Coach says I should call the cops. Yeah, that'll help. Crazy man says I pushed his kid off the line, which I didn't, and he's going to shoot my fucking white ass. The crazy guy starts cursing me in Spanish. I know enough of the language to know he's saying shit in front of this kid that would make Rush Limbaugh blush or something funnier than that. You can make something up. You're the funny guy, right? Anyway, I just thought I'd share. Hope I'm not a headline someday. Seriously, what the fuck? Dig your show. I've been podcasting off iTunes. Excellent job. That's scary, man, when someone just loses it. People just get to the boiling point. It's never about that situation. Yeah, it was probably more about like how that guy was a failure himself and he was angry that his kid was failing in soccer. Here's, here's something. Mark, I've had it recently confirmed to me that the questionable massage parlor next to a restaurant I frequent is indeed one that permits handjobs at the end. I've since found myself freakishly obsessed with its presence. And not in a, I want to frequent the place and become their best customer kind of way, but more of a, what the fuck, these things actually exist kind of way. I mean, I've known about these types of places existing out there in the world, but for some reason or another, I find myself just kind of dumbfounded by the whole thing. And it's a mother and daughter who own and operate it. That could be a contributing factor. Anywho, that's been on my mind as of late. Take care, Aaron. Aaron, you're on a slippery slope. It sounds to me that uh, I'm not, uh, I've never been to one of those places, but I know people that go to them. And all I can say is that once you go, and you realize, like, eh, this isn't so bad. It seems pretty clean. And, you know, uh, no one's the wiser. And there's, you know, nothing's really that dirty that uh, you could be in. So let me know how that pans out, buddy. Here we go. Uh, this uh, subject line, thanks. Mark, I've been struggling with my new feelings for about six months. Since I've been listening to you, I started to realize that maybe I'm not alone. I heard you on Greg's podcast. That's Greg Fitzsimmons. You said something that hit home. You were talking about Reagan telling everyone to go out and, that was Bush though, to b- go out and buy something, to which he said, get something between you and your feelings before you start to think. Well, that's how I've been for the last 25 years. I've traded my life to go work and get a giant house, 401k, cars, boats, and bikes. One day I said to myself, all I do is work so I can pay for all my stuff. What the fuck? For the last several months, I've been selling off all the shit. I canceled my cable, club membership, and all the other trappings of life. I sold most of my stuff, and the home closes next week. I'm down to one car, which gets great gas mileage. I've bought a small condo in downtown Minneapolis, which allows me to walk to several great places. Some days I feel like I struggle with the decision. I feel like I've given up. I feel like I should just push forward. Then I realize that's what they, insert whoever you want for they, want us to think. They need us to keep feeding the machine and keep buying all the shit. I'm sick of all the taxes. I feel like we've been sold a bill of goods. But as I look around, I keep seeing people play the game. Is it me or do I just not want to play the game anymore? And am I a quitter? I hope not. Anyway, this was written in haste and passion. I'm not a writer. Thanks for the message. It made me feel like I was on the right path. I believe I am. I just want a simple life. I guess time will tell. Well, you know, thanks for that. That's very thoughtful. And, and certainly I deal with that every day. I deal with it in not the same way. I, I don't have all the trappings of that life, but it really does sometimes become unclear what the hell the point of everything is and why things are important. And I, and I, I tend to get into that area where every once in a while I can see the matrix. I can really see the matrix and it should be so much simpler and it should be so much nicer and it should be so much easier. And I think that things are complicated because of the system we're in needs to be fed. I agree with you there. So he listened to me on Greg Fitzsimmons and we did a, I did his show and then we taped his podcast. And then after that, we taped uh, my podcast. So here now is Greg Fitzsimmons and me. So uh, my guest today on WTF is a guy I've known for a long time. I've known him since we were children. I knew him when he had a full head of hair and uh, and only he, he had one joke that I, I never forget. Uh, and I, I, I don't know if he still does it, uh, but Greg Fitzsimmons is here. Do you still do the joke where, you know, what you don't see, ladies, when you're giving us head, and then you do your hands like, yay! You're being facetious when you say that. I don't believe that you really liked that joke. I did like that joke. I don't believe that you did. Well, I remembered it. You remembered it because you stood in the back of the room saying, that's what a fucking shit joke that is. You have so many ideas about me. Why can't you let that, me be because you're being new fac- Mark? Because you came out of the... That was like a Bill Maher interview with Bill Frist. You come right out and you say something to make him uncomfortable. 
No, I did not. I know for a fact that you did not like that joke. That's not true, Greg. You like that joke? Yes, I like that joke. Why? Because it was funny. It I was, don't believe that. No, it was funny. It was uh, it was young. I was trying to capture who we were twenty years ago. It was different. I don't. You know, you have this idea about me. I've always liked you. And, and I certainly like the comedy you do now better than what you used to so do. So do I. I hated the comedy I used to do. I hated yeah. that joke. Yeah, I look you, back and cringe at that but joke. But the one thing that, that has changed for you is that, not unlike many of us, we figure out how to be funny. And in, the one thing I never knew about you, you always had your shit together on stage. You, you come from a broadcasting family. Is that right? Well, my, yeah, my father was in radio. And, and he was the voice of Frankenberry? He did a lot of commercials. He did the National Enquirer. He did uh, Showtime for about ten years. All the movies coming up next. But he was a he was an AM talk guy back with Jonathan Schwartz, talk radio, right. WNEW. And the one thing I never knew about you until recently is that you are this seething, angry malcontent. Like I always thought that of all the people, you always had a great demeanor, a great disposition. Uh, you always were very together on stage, very polished. And and in the last few years, I run into you, and you're like, I'm fucking losing my mind. Yeah. And I and and the great thing about that to me is that you're talking about it on stage. You've got an edge to you now. You've matured as a comic. You're being honest, and yet you still think that I don't like you. No, no, no. I don't <laughs> think you don't like me. And I covered this in my podcast, which, by the way, you should mention we are we are simulcast. I'm sorry. Tonight. Yes, this is a simulcast. It's not a real simulcast, but we just did Greg's uh, uh, podcast, and that's available where. That's uh, a fitzdog.com and I'm sure and on I'm iTunes. On, and you can get me, obviously, at WTFpod.com. And the, I did his radio show, and so now I'm in I'm in his house right now. So if he seems to hijack the conversation... This is your to, house now. This is your house. Uh, then it's it, that, uh, <laughs> then it might happen. Cause <laughs> no, he, the got, reason he I, got very worked up during the podcast. He forced me into a political corner, and I'm going to try to bring him back down to the sweet man who's struggling. No, I was trying to push you in an emotional corner. I wanted to know the emotions behind your political beliefs. I wanted to get you out of the political corner. Well, I'll tell you honestly, because I... But just to follow up on that, I yeah, brought I bring this up because when uh, when you talked about I think I described pretty aptly the dynamic you have with a lot of people, which is that you need to you need conflict to feel what the connection is. You test it. And I guess so I've never thought not never. This time's where I thought you disliked me, but I I I think I was always pretty aware that the that because I'm a competitive person, I knew that a lot of it was resentment and I knew that it was actually probably healthy competition in a way. Uh com comedians just by nature of what we do are not meant to hang out and you were not factory workers who were getting the same shifts and but doing you know, the same it's weird thing that, that as i get older is that what i realize is that we are all misfits and gypsies and weirdos that yeah. don't we've never fit in we never uh fit into regular social situations i wouldn't even know how to function in an office without getting a sexual harassment suit every two but weeks you and, wouldn't have known when we first knew each other that 20 years later we would we would have shaken out as people that lasted if we did we might have accepted i might have accepted you you might have accepted me more but early on by sheer volume you have to be competitive with people until yeah, you I'm start just, to realize who's going to last. But I'm just naturally like that. And I think what what I've learned now is that the more I appreciate what we do and the more I appreciate that, you know, I'm not going to be some, you know, social leader, some like I don't know what I was trying to do. I just wanted to be understood and I wanted to be heard. And I was much angrier and I've always been slightly political. But what I realize now is that we we've pulled it off. Yeah. I mean, we've done an amazing thing in the sense that we sort of call our own Shots. We can say what we want, you know, in front of people. No one's really telling us what to do. And we've somehow gotten away with it. So now when I sit down with a bunch of guys who are comics, I always loved it. I love guys that can make me laugh. And, and, I, and I've grown to like them even more because of what you're saying, that we did survive this thing. And I don't know what the fuck's going to happen tomorrow. We're, we're so fucking similar. The people that last this long, I, and I don't, and I love that I don't know what we all have in common. And it's certainly not that we all have the same political take. But there's some combination of, and I think you and I are different in that my anger seems to be rising as yours is coming down, and I think we may be matching up right now, and hopefully I'm not continuing to go up. So let's talk a little bit about that, Greg, in terms of, uh, in terms of uh, your comedy, in terms of what you're doing up there now. What? Well, I mean, what is the thing that's driving your comedy the most? 
It depends on the week. I mean, I really do go from, I said it on the show earlier, this show has become my diary. I mean, tracking whatever is going on in my life, I try to just bring it out. This weekend I was on stage talking about gay marriage. I'm very, if I can be, if I can pick an issue I think I'm angriest about, it's being in a state where two people who have real human emotions are told that those are illegal. And to me, it comes down to you are different than me. If I can, if I can spin it so I'm better, I'm going to do that out of fear. Or and, and they're the so last that, that group that's wrong. A, yes, yeah, and, it's ridiculous that people even give a shit. It's like, isn't life hard enough? I mean, how? Like the thing I just can never get uh, my my brain around, and which will never go away, is that. People will believe what they will believe, and if you fight with them, you can literally say to those people, like, look, science has proven that the world has been around longer than you think it has. Mm. And they can say, that's just words on paper. The Bible is the truth. Exactly. And, 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 and there's nothing you can do to argue with that. And really, in, in, most, in, in the most basic sense, that is dangerous delusion. Well, a dangerous delusion to them is faith. They, they, faith to them is the, is the, that they are able to leap over the gap into a book that was written a long time ago as fact. They can imagine a boat filled with animals. They can imagine a sea being parted and a man dying and rising. Who would they want to can't imagine Im- that? But they can't imagine that two human beings can love each other that are the same sex. Like, if, if they've shown anything, it's that they have a great imagination. And yet it stops short when not, it comes to human emotions. It's not even theirs. They, they, they're the imagination. Yes. Yeah. But so, no, but I, I, and I'm, I'm cynical too. I, I am, I have coined the phrase that, uh, that uh, hope is faith-based denial, <laughs> and and that, <laughs> and that I do have yeah, my cynical funny. equations. But but so you should sell T-shirts after. I said this to Gibbons before you came in. I said I said Marin is a very layered person, but he's also highly quotable. Like you are able to actually crystallize a lot of your thoughts into great T-shirts, and I think you should sell them after your shows. But they should be really fucking like uh, like what is it? Hope what did you is say? Faith based yeah. denial. That's a great T-shirt. Yeah, you really. I mean, on your website for all the get her done's T-shirts and all that. <laughs> if you had a line of fifteen really kind of complex pithy. The you other know, one that I've always liked is that uh, that I, I oh that most people aren't depressed. That in most cases, the only difference between uh, depression and disappointment is your level of commitment. I heard you on <laughs> the improv, and I laughed out loud. And you act, and I was, and I might have been the only one. And you, you, you called me out on it, and you thought I was <laughs> laughing at you, and I wasn't. I thought that was one of the funniest things I've ever heard. Yeah, I like to. Well, that's t-shirts, a, man. There's fucking huge. You think you make money on a podcast? Guys that sell T-shirts make fifty grand a year on that shit, and it's no work. They got companies that do it for you. Your orders go in. They got a factory. They send them out. But All you, you get is that, a check. That, that hope is faith-based denial is a T-shirt people would proudly wear. I know they. I would. Yeah. I know they would. And the people that wear those kind of T-shirts, they want a little irony. They want to look smart, and they want to wear it under a flannel shirt when they go to a rock show. That's weird. I'm wearing a a, 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 a T-shirt right now that's of a a butcher, a, a, a high-end butcher shop in San Francisco. And it, I think on the back it says something like, um, what does it say about pig parts? Uh, tasty. What is it, Mike? Uh, tasty salted pig parts. Tasty salted pig parts. Perfect for <laughs> swine flu season. <laughs> But uh, you know what? It's uh, it's it's almost like um, when I see the kids in Hollywood that buy vintage clothing, and then they not only that, then they buy the hat that looks like they've been working on a truck, and then they buy used work boots that you can see the steel tips showing through. They they're paying for somebody else's work. I used to do a job. I did a joke about that years ago. Like you know, when work shirts were really popular with the kids. They, this thing, it's like, check it out. It says Bill on the pocket. I said, wow, it used to belong to someone who had a job. <laughs> <laughs> but these T-shirts, what do these kids want? They want to look like they worked a blue-collar job, or they want to look like... Well, you might as well look like it. They aren't available anymore. <laughs> yeah. And that's what's funny is you can't buy those those in L.A. anymore because they all got bought up by the kids coming in How on trust the fucking, funds. the fucking pork pie hats? Enough of that oh, shit. Man. I don't I don't understand that about that, that whole thing. It's like, how do you put a hat on that you know everyone else is wearing and think that like you're doing something unique? Gene Pompa gets away with it, and that's it. It ends with Gene Pompa. Well, I think Mexicans and old black men can wear them. Yes. 
They've but, got... uh, but white guys can't. You wear a cap occasionally, but I think you do it all right. That's an Irish thing. Yeah, I, I can wear it Irish, but my wife thinks it... Uh... it here's the thing about stand-up. I really feel like I had a goatee for a while, and I feel <laughs> You're like... You're not a goatee Hats guy. and goatees <laughs> and glasses, all... Anything that stands between me and the audience <laughs> and me pretending I'm anything except a self-loathing middle-aged bald guy... Is hurting my comedy. I feel. I need to feel uncomfortable. I I feel a lot of acceptance coming from you. I mean, look at me. I'm sporting a soul patch and a mustache, but I'll tell you, like I, I'm very specific about my clothes, and I don't. I'm still not quite comfortable with the horn rim glasses. I really said I was never going to do this, and I'm wearing them. Yep. But uh, I need glasses. I've taken mine on and off twenty times, and I should have them on the entire time. Do you have progressives now? I bought them, but I can't get... They say you need got to commit for a few weeks so your eyes get used to it, and I can't. I, I finally did, because yeah. I just can't take the reading thing anymore. No, it's gotten to where... It, I, I got to where I was stretching my arm out, leaning my head back, and now that is officially out of range, and so now I'm... You just got to accept that yeah. stuff. It's a weird thing as you get older that, like, there's some things happening in my mind... Like, some things are just fading. Mm. And, 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 like, I have these moments where I'm like, maybe Alzheimer's is a gift. In, in the sense that, like, I can't... And that, that's obviously... Uh, I don't mean that. But I mean that as... No, as, but, yeah, your hard drive's it, got too much shit on it. But, but I don't know that it has too much shit on it. All I know is that some of this stuff is softening. Yeah. And, and it's, 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 a lot, it's a lot less of a burden to carry. Yes. I also think, like... When I see those comedians that, uh, like the Borscht Belt guys, Freddie Roman and and Malzi Lawrence and Dick Capri, and they go do these rooms, like, every time they ask me to do a, oh, this is perfect. The Friars Club roast for, um, we both did it, and I was cut out entirely at Chevy Chase. That was the worst night of my life. I went on, like, third to last, I think I was after Lisa Lampanelli, and I bombed so bad, they just stared at me. And it was- was so bad. Oh, it was fucking brutal. And I looked at those guys, like Freddie Roman, who went up. And, you know, you can, the the modern comic loves to mock that whole thing. And you talked about it before with Jeff Ross. He honors that tradition of joke telling and professionalism and doing it for the audience, which is why we're fucking there. And I have such respect for those guys. And then I think, thank God they're doing this Florida tour because these people don't remember the fucking jokes. It's like a new show every year in Boca That's Raton. Funny. I got I got flack for that because when I went on at the Chevy Chase roast, and I've talked about this. Did you make I, it on the air or were you cut I did. out? I, because what happened was I was eating it like I'd never eaten it before. I couldn't understand it. And I'm not a roast guy. If I'm insulting somebody, I mean it. So I couldn't, <laughs> like, I don't know how to do it. You know, with any sort of panache. And I tried a couple jokes and they didn't fly. And I literally said, oh, my God. Wait, I'm... back up. Explain the vibe with Chevy Chase that day and how the audience felt about him and He was and an us. unwilling participant. Yeah. He was doing everyone a favor. He, they couldn't even find old friends of his to do it, except for Frank and I think did Lorraine Newman come? Lorraine Newman was the only friend. But, like, all I know is that about two minutes into my set, I said, wow, I am fucking bombing. It's and, noon in the Hilton. And, and Everyone's I, 75. But, but that got a laugh, and it got me a, a little bit of a toehold, so a couple of jokes worked enough to get on the show. Yeah. And then Freddie Roman... Uh, who was interviewed about it afterwards said in The Observer that, uh, you know, my generation, what Mark Marin did, you know, we don't do that. We don't acknowledge ah. that. And like, and I'm not sure I agree with him. Hmm. That, you know, it, you know, I understand the professionalism aspect, but if I'm going to get laughs and my act isn't doing it and I've got to sort of embrace the failure to begin to get the laughs, I'll fucking do it. Yeah. Well, I don't mean it in that sense. I just mean that um, when those guys do do what they do, it is a commitment to it's a different like, form right, of but comedy. It, but also you're talking about time travel is that the people they're performing for remember them when they were young and they remember the 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 the, the rhythm of what they do. You know, those guys are very specific. They have a very sort of just barely post Borscht Belt rhythm that is very comforting to a generation of people that are very old right now. And in sure, why not? You know, it's like a nostalgia. Where tour. does Lisa Lampanelli fall into that? Lisa Lampanelli, I have uh, I've always found uh, made me incredibly uncomfortable, which I think is great because when I when f- she first started out, I didn't really know what she was doing on stage, but I always remembered that like there's something really fucking wrong with her, and 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 uh, <laughs> like in the way she would talk about fucking black guys, I was like this is something raw and weird, mm. this, like it's not you know this is not something that's happened before, and in the sense that like when I look, when I look at Lisa Lampanelli when she's talking to me, even when she's being nice to me, all I can see is so much rage behind those eyes that I feel it. I, I, I'm yeah. sensitive to that. But I got to be honest with you. I, I, I fucking respect that chick because I was at a show 
in Vancouver that she that she sold out. She's got a huge the gay guys love her. She's a big she's like baby Jane Hudson up there. She's this this beast of a woman wearing Who's these baby ad- Jane Hudson. From uh, whatever happened to Baby Jane with Joan Crawford and uh, oh, and that. Betty Davis? Oh, you gotta see it. That that she wears these outlandish outfits and she's just this tank of a woman and she's all dolled up in this like insane diva attire, and but but, it, but that is her shtick. And the thing that I noticed that night, and I hadn't felt it in years, is that she you know throws away the moral compass to such a degree that there is a tangible sense of like what the fuck is happening here yeah is this right is it wrong yeah is it you know and it's an electric thing that i i've only felt uh i hadn't felt since kennison well and, you know and- it's similar did you read outliers she's an outlier she comes in I mean, one of the definitions of outliers is they come in and they don't respect the way it's been done they they break those rules and they they like a wrecking ball and they go in and they do a completely different in on the on the the art or the craft that they're practicing. I think Howard Stern's an outlier and they you know going did you read the book? No, but I know what you're saying, but the thing is that there there are some things that she does do like other comics because she her craft is very much in but place. But that's breaking one of the rules. I mean, good comics respect other comics who don't sound like other comics when in the scheme of things we're all just, you know. But, you know, like as a liberal, which you accuse me of being and which I, I rightfully am, that I, I think find... accused has a bad word. I'm proud of being a liberal. Yeah, me too. But but the thing is, is that, you know, in terms of this world, in terms of like, you know, when you when you talk about Lampanelli or you talk about Jimmy Norton, is that and, and even Dice Clay to a certain degree and, and Kennison, people that are, you know, outlandish and what would be called politically incorrect, I find, you know, sometimes to be electric because when you can disassemble you know, anyone's moral barometer, that everybody's got a personal moral barometer, you know, whatever it's based on religion or just practicality, is that part of what they do is they destroy it and they take you to this other time zone where there's just nothing holding right or wrong together. And and that is incredibly engaging and incredibly entertaining. But they have to be let in the door to do that. And that's the difference. People don't understand the comics that I dislike, and I don't like Dice Clay. And have I always you, thought have that you seen he... him lately? Yeah, worse than ever. Really? I find that what he represents to me is deconstructing things without putting anything in its place. He comes in and he wants to challenge what is a well-worn attack point, but there's no message at the end of it. Like, Kinison was different. Kinison took the styling and the presentation of a preacher, and he mixed it with a time that was becoming very politically correct, and he vigorously defended his right to put shit out about things that weren't allowed to be talked about. There was an energy behind well, that. Well, I think that, like, Dice Clay me, just went up and tried to shock you, but, but he but, didn't have anything... To, but when I see him now, he's just like this old, weird Jewish guy just talking about his day. And the weird thing that I noticed about Dice, like, I had sat in the back of the room and I'd watched about 10 comics come on that could have been interchangeable. And then he got up there... And just started talking about going to Staples with his kid. And the one thing I realized at that moment is that despite whatever you may think of him, he's an original. Yeah. And and his way of phrasing and his way of thinking about things. Now I'm not, I don't care about shock comedy, but you know, as a poetic force, he's a very peculiar guy. Yes, but a, he is in he is when you're when you're looking at it in the scheme of things, but when you're sitting in the room watching him, you better you better hope he had a good fucking day. You better hope he had a funny trip to Staples because there he goes up there and no, he know. tells You're you about right. his fucking yeah. day. Yeah, I know, I know. Um, so I guess what I guess what I'm saying is that when I see somebody who's got a burning desire to communicate his unexamined raw sewage, that to me is going to lead somewhere good. But when somebody's going out to attack uh, a crowd or society or our mores and values because they're there, that's not interesting to me, and it generally doesn't have legs. And I think that's a fine place to end. My guess has been... Ah, uh, don't do that to me! Why? It was great. Yeah, let's go out on a laugh. It was a great button. Really? Yeah. You're supposed to go like, so, Greg, you have a dog. I mean, what kind of podcast is this? It's one where we we get to the heart of things, and I think what you just saw happen is it's taken (laughs) now two hours for Greg to get out of Radio Mind... Holy was shit. I in radio mind before? No, but like when you get going, you know, you start going. No, but what I really want to say is, and then I'm sitting there going, "What's happening? Is he okay?" And then I realized that I've been there because when I hosted a radio show, which you just had to before we did this podcast, so much more enjoyable on this side. Yeah, before you did your podcast, is that like I remember when you're on the mic. This is the one thing that I learned from radio 
is that when you drive in a show, and I was driving a morning show, mm. and that is no what, three small hours task. a day. Yeah, Jesus. Oh, and but you, and when you're driving it, like you know, when I used to do comedy, I'd go to the radio, and they'd be like, "This guy's the biggest guy," you know. And then you get in there, and you'd be like, "This guy is." And then like you, you know, and and he was always on top of you. Like the ones that are a little insecure that really run a market, they're gonna fucking control you. They're gonna, you know, they're gonna steamroll you. It takes a lot of experience to allow somebody stage. But then after you do morning radio for a year, what I did is you realize that like we are here at fucking four in the morning. We are our own spaceship. This little enclave that we have, these five guys that I'm working with, this is our world. Mm -hmm. And when you come into it, you better fucking behave yourself. Mm -hmm. And you know, I never felt the empathy that I have now for radio guys because if you get someone in there who's not stepping up or they're not, you know, they're not taking your lead or they're not opening up or they're trying to steamroll you, you're like, you know, you're in our fucking house. Yeah. And you know, and you feel it because it's like we are, you know, we're driving people to work here. Yeah. yeah. No, and I, you know, you feel it like as comedians, especially because we had a very visceral uh, response to our jokes if they weren't working. People would bo- in Boston. It took me a long time to uh, learn that. And you know, the weird thing about radio is it doesn't translate to the comedy no. thing. Is that like. I was doing raw radio. Like I, most of my political radio was me talking about my life, and uh, and the weird thing is, is that the people that listen to my podcast now, and also the people that listen to the radio, is because I'm so candid. Because I like doing that. I like doing you know the the naked format. Is that you go? They'll come to your shows, and they'll listen to your comedy. And they'll and you'll get off stage and be like, yeah, yeah, it was, it was good. The app was fine, but what's going on at the toilet? Did you get that thing fixed? Yeah, you know, <laughs> and you're like, you realize, holy shit, they know me better than my parents yeah. do right no, now. No, I think it's like the movie screen makes everyone bigger, and I find that people don't walk up to movie stars the way they walk up to TV stars, and they don't walk up to TV stars the way they fucking put their arm around radio people. You are their friend. You are at the same level as them. It's a really nice. When I people like call it. in, yeah, I don't. I hate being on, at, being off stage after a comedy show and having people walk out and be intimidated to talk to me because I've just been spewing for forty minutes straight without them being able to answer anything. It's a weird, fucked up. And when somebody calls in, like, like uh, you on uh, my my show earlier, I had two guys that call in almost every week, and they're not necessarily the most compelling, interesting people, but they listen every week, and I I just have this trust that you know what I know that they're like you said, this is my fucking show, and they're gonna try, they're gonna call in, and they're gonna have a good question, and I and I love that they're participating, and if I and I met one of them, one of them drove from Tennessee to fucking Atlanta to my show, yeah. and it was like I saw him, and I didn't feel like he was a stalker, and he didn't feel like I was a Star. Yeah, me, great. yeah, me too. I mean, I get that all the time. I, I, the relationships I've built with the audience on the radio have been so fulfilling to me because I have, like, I don't have boundaries anyways. I'm yeah. not that great at it, and and it's it's almost a weird, awkward thing to me because these people come up to me with this, you know, like this very like uh, you familiar, know, right? And and I and I just say, of course, yeah, and I, I let them right in. But it's it sort of it almost hurts my feelings in the sense that, like, you know, I wish I knew them better because they yeah. know me. Yeah, like I have people, like I have fans, like I, I was up in San Francisco. This is where I have that in my life, and I don't know why, but I don't mind it. One of my fans, this dude, he comes up to me after the show. He goes, "Me and my girlfriend bake you some cookies." And they gave me the cookies, and I was like, that's so fucking sweet. Yeah. I mean, there was a time in my life where, you know, like, we're the drugs, we're this and that, but I'm so not there anymore. And yeah. I'm like, they know that I like to cook, and they know I talk about it. So they're like, here, we made these cookies. That's I awesome. fucking ate them all. Yeah. And they bring me jewelry, they're like bracelets, they bring me amulets, they bring me tapes. And, and the thing is, is that the reason I love them is that they know me and if they and they'll travel to see me too and and I I'll I'll certainly make time for them and yeah. they, and I'll talk to them like they're my best friends because on some on some level the other side of the relationship is they are yeah you know I just don't have time to get to know them as well as they might want to know me as they, or as they know me but I I'll certainly hang out well that's the thing about when you carve out a career by just being honest again and again and again in different whether it's in your stand up and or on the radio or wherever you're going to attract people that are predisposed to like you and it's very different than when you're playing say Lisa Lampanelli she told me she she does not like talking to her fans after the show because she's presented them this caricature right and now she's got to be that human being that's talking right and it's a hard disconnect to match up and I find that you know I definitely enjoy meeting people from the radio more than I enjoy meeting somebody who saw me on best week ever doing stuff I didn't really enjoy uh, putting out 
necessarily well, yeah, because there's no distance and the radio requires that you you show up as you are that you can't hide with this thing no and and you don't and i don't want to but on stage you know there's a context and if you don't hide you better have a room full of radio fans or you're gonna yeah, be in trouble yeah yeah so you yeah. think that's a good place to end yeah i like that that was a gentle elegant dismount <laughs> All right, that's uh, that's Greg Fitzsimmons. We can't really plug anything because I'm not sure when we're going to air this, but it was certainly a great talking to you. And your uh, your your show is at where? Uh, Fitzdog.com with a Z. And uh, thank you. This was a this was a, a good share. This was cubism. This was podcast cubism. We did it back to back. Thanks a lot. Thank you. Uh, okay, it's my pleasure to introduce a new segment on the show. I had no idea that this was going to uh, yield the response that it has gotten. Uh, but this segment is called, uh, this is, of course, in honor of DeBeat Mix's post on the iTunes review uh, board. Uh, this segment is formally called Know This Crap About Jew Stuff. And that's N-O, Know This Crap About Jew Stuff. <laughs> All right, so I've got a couple of emails here. Uh, well, actually, they're both posts. One was on uh, the uh, the site where the podcast is, and the other one was on iTunes. Okay, this first one. Yeah, I put this post in episode 12, but thought it belongs here, too. Sorry for the redundancy factor. So this is something this guy thought he should post twice. Your story about having your dick in the doctor's hand was hilarious. I'm a hypochondriac, too, but dude, don't wonder that people like Beat Mix or whatever he called is criticizing you on the Jew thing. It seems like you were just emphasizing Jews in society all the time. Jews in comedy, a Jew's life, a Jew growing up, etc. I'm an atheist. I don't identify with a religion. I grew up in New York City. Don't you think you are alienating some of you listeners? I mean, let's be honest. Jews are a minority in this country. The reason I won't donate is because I feel a bit of a reverse discrimination when listening to your podcast. Though I enjoy listening to your podcast, I'm getting a bit tired of all this Jew shit the same way i would get tired of a lot of christian shit or muslim shit really it's annoying you wondered in episode 15 why people don't leave the jews alone it's because of people like you who keep pushing the word jew up in front and center do you know what i mean people like you are the problem you draw attention to the separation of which you complain about why can't you just be a comedian why do you have to be a jew comedian now therein lies the rub a jew comedian not just a Jewish comedian. I mean, I'm a fucking web designer. When I introduce myself, I don't call myself a Hungarian-American web designer or a fucking Protestant, but really atheist web designer. I mean, what the fuck, Mark Marin? Stop being that constant Jew guy. Be the I am a fucked up hypochondriac, why am I not successful guy. Much funnier, much more broader. Now, all this aside, I don't know what kind of diplomacy this guy thinks he's engaging in. But I think once you say, I'm getting a bit tired of all this Jew shit, you might cross a line. The same way I get tired of Christian shit or Muslim shit. Okay, but I got to be honest with you. If you were to introduce yourself as a Hungarian-American fucking web designer, I would be much more fucking interested in what you had to say. That's just me. And I'm not that defensive about it. I, I see Jewishness as a culture. And I think that a lot of the Jewishness has been removed from comedy because uh, I think the advent of medication stifled a lot of those voices. And I think a lot of times when you have a sort of neurotic Jewish bent, people are like, why is he just on medicine? He could be on medicine and be better. But this is the sort of tone that I get. These are people that are like, you know, I got no problem with Jews, but stop with the Jew shit. But the other one, this is a, this is a good one, too. This is on the iTunes uh, review board. And uh, <laughs> the title is Great But... Dot, dot, dot. Okay, he gives it four stars, and this is why. Of course, I do not want to give this show five stars because it's a little annoying how often he inserts his Jewish identity. I have nothing against Jews. The only best friends I seem to have tended to be Jewish. That's a past tense there, I might add. The only, they never had to tell me they were Jewish several times to ad nauseum, though. So I lose a star. Because of the Jew thing. So I'm assuming that may be a yellow star of David that I'm to put on my clothing somewhere so as that I won't have to talk about it, but I could easily be identified as a Jew. Again, I appreciate all this input. It's very helpful that you people who claim to not be anti-Semitic in any way and will defend your side of it 
ultimately end up being extraordinarily anti-Semitic. And I'm not even that Jewy. This has been the first installation of know this crap about Jew stuff. And that would be N-O, this crap about Jew stuff. All right, so let's read a few more emails before we go out today. I get a lot of these emails along the same lines. And, you know, this is essentially a comedy show, but it's also a show to vent a certain amount of frustration and try to figure some stuff out. But I, I get these emails that I find to be touching and, and uh, uh, sort of uh, sad in the way that we all experience this type of sadness. The subject line on this is I have a few mostly inconsequential things to say, and there's some uh, I'm not reading all of it. But he said, uh, you mentioned an incident in which you took a philosophy course hoping to have an opportunity to wrangle with some heavy topics instead of wrangling. You found yourself at the whim of logical rhetoric. Being a student of philosophy, I can empathize with your frustrations. I've spent most of my academic life learning the tools needed for philosophical debate, the rhetoric, the logic, the paradoxical conundrums. What I have found is this. The people who spend their academic careers devoting themselves to this rhetoric have, for the most part, completely cut themselves off from everything that makes them emotional human beings. In their pursuit of ration, these academics have lost everything else. Surely some had very little evidence of being human prior to their pursuit of philosophical rhetoric, but I'm quite certain many of them started out very human and very curious. I've also found that in 2,000 years of philosophical study and debate, we've managed to produce some very intriguing arguments for some very difficult problems, but mostly it's all a bunch of bullshit. I suppose what I'm saying is this. The academics think they are manning the front lines of philosophical inquiry, but in working under the assumption they are missing out on some of the most important aspects of the battle as a whole. They are losing touch with the nature of the original questions. Why are we here? What's love got to do with it? What the fuck? I think you already understand this, so I don't say any of this to be preachy. Personally, I'm fed up with my job. I'm fed up with school. I'm fed up with bad habits. I've been working full-time and going to college part-time since I graduated high school. I have a corporate job some folks would kill to have, which I think is dehumanizing and fucking torturous. And I haven't even finished my undergrad. I'm planning on quitting the job in a month so I can finish school next semester, taking a dive into the abyss that is unemployment. I've been in love with a girl for the past year and she's been in love with me, but the responsibilities we have each set as priorities are now keeping us from being together. She's in a doctoral program in another state. I'm stuck here trying to finish a degree program I started 10 years ago. It's life. I may lose her because of the bullshit capitalistic game we force ourselves and are forced to play. I suppose that's one reason I want to kick libertarians squarely in the nuts if I was responsible for 100 bills instead of the 15 to 20 I have to deal with now, I'd probably shoot myself, taxes or no taxes. A few years ago, I survived Katrina. I survived it in a boat with my dogs. I looked around my hometown in the aftermath and the realization that everyone was living their lives the wrong way was so profound, I nearly shot myself where I stood. In that moment, I could see what was important. What was important was community. What was important was brotherhood and the health and welfare of everyone around me. We have our priorities all fucked up, Mr. Marin. We are here to love one another. That's it. That should be our priority. We should cut down every obstacle that stands in the way of love, and that includes our own egos. What the fuck indeed, Mr. Marin? What the fuck indeed? When I'm at work in my Pepto-Pink fucking cubicle and the voices in my head are too loud to deal with, I now have your voice to vent what I must hold inside. When I want to tell my evangelical conservative co-workers how much Joel Osteen doesn't give a flying fuck about them or their religion and is only using their most deeply held beliefs as a tax shelter, I have you, Mr. Marin, to echo my angst across the digital waves. For that, I thank you. You're welcome, Brandon. You're welcome. All right, here, let's lighten it up a bit. WTF, spelled out. Dearest Marketing Company, I recently experienced a what-the-fuck moment, it being more of a what-the-fuck as opposed to what-the-fuck. Continuing, I met a young woman the other day who, honest to goodness, does anyone know what that saying means? Does not believe that we have ever landed on the moon. And by ever, I mean ever. So there it is, my what-the-fuck moment. Keep up the wonderful work. Sincerely, Aaron. This is something going around. Someone sent me this big, massive examination of whether or not the moon landing was real or not. 
that probably all arose because it was the uh, 40th anniversary. So that that stuff probably. Where got... do people find the time? Yeah. You mean the time to fake a moon landing? Well, that and also the time to like, is this really what we're going to get hung up on? Can't we just believe we went to the moon? Did you I... ever see that video of Buzz Aldrin punching the guy in the face? No. Hang on. We're going to watch it right here and you're going to react to it. It's it's phenomenal. And I know you have some sympathy toward, you know, conspiracy theorists and that, or at least an understanding, yeah. but it's real fun to watch this guy get punched. <laughs> <laughs> Hang on. But look at that. You type in Buzz Aldrin into YouTube, and yeah. it just the first thing that comes up is Buzz Aldrin punch. <laughs> pull, pull your microphone. What's the setup here? Uh, this was some guy. His name is Bart Sibrell. Yeah. Uh, and I, get, I don't know the deal, but he's an internet guy, and he was doing some expose of Buzz Aldrin and why he was a faker and didn't walk on the moon. And he confronted Aldrin outside of a, uh, a hotel when he was gi- uh, giving a speech. Uh, so here, here's the clip. This is something everyone has seen. Uh, I don't know if everybody's seen it, but there's the guy right there. Yeah. And there's Buzz. Right. Boom! Oh! The guy went up. He lifted up. Oh! The, oh my God! And that was because he said that you didn't really land on the moon? Yeah, he said you're a fraud. You're a... Without even thinking. <laughs> Old man Buzz just clocks him. You're a fraud. That is hilarious. Yeah, I mean, I don't, why, what is the point of this? Is this like in the name of investigation? I mean, I saw Capricorn one. That was about Mars, though, I think. I mean, maybe it's possible, but I mean, really? Is that where you're going to spend your time? I, I'm willing, you know what? I'm going to go ahead and believe we landed on the moon. And I think that's a God thing too. Are most of those, are they, who are those people that do that? Are they, what's their I angle? I think it's just anti-government. Oh, so that's the anti-government. Uh, so it's a 9-11 truth offshoot as well. I mean, it's way older than that, obviously. I mean, right, right. That this was all manufactured. To what end though? I mean, what it, uh, it to justify know, NASA various, spending? Justify taking money. Yeah, yeah. Huh. Damn, I wanted to read this thing about, uh. About apes, I'll save it. I had a story about there. There, they, there's some study about how they think one of the reasons that that humans started to walk upright was specifically to get laid. I don't follow. How does that add up? Well, the the concept was that you know in ape cultures, the the loudest, most violent ape who can you know beat the shit out of the other apes or scare them into fucking as many of the females as possible usually gets it. Oh, so it's a presentation thing. Not a logistic thing. No, no. I would it's think a, that hunched a, over on all fours is the logistically easier way to. No, make. no. The angle is this: is that there? Uh, the study says that the other apes that can't be that guy. And the interesting thing about the study is that apparently these alpha apes who put on the biggest show and kick the most ass come really fast, <laughs> and they're designed to come really fast and come a lot and have as much of come as possible to have as many sex with as many women apes as possible who are ovulating. So they sort of corner the market. But what their assumption is, is essentially that the apes that couldn't do that eventually said, hey, you know what? Chicks like food. So if we fucking just take a walk and get some food and bring it back, you know, maybe we can you know, isolate some of these women that the douchebag doesn't fuck and impress them with our ability to get them food and they'll fuck us. And it was just because they would be able to walk and like reach up and to take grab the, time, the thing, yeah. As yeah. opposed to just go and start fucking everything. They're like, "Hey, there's still a couple left. I'm gonna go get her a present." That's that. That's exactly like my whole romantic life. I'm like, I'm sure as hell can't beat up that guy, but I can buy her lots of nice stuff. <laughs> yeah. I just love the idea that that one of the pluses of being an asshole douchebag ape that just kicks everyone's ass and scares everybody and then fucks as many women as possible is premature ejaculation. I wonder if that holds true now. Because I think that if you can actually take a walk, buy your chick something nice and fuck for a little while, I think in the long term, you're probably going to... Yeah, that's endurance of the species. And the big loud one, I'm sure, would in vulnerable moments fuck a male ape. Yeah, yeah. And not know it. Right. And be confused and cry afterwards. <laughs> and then surrender to it. Subject line, WTF, self-editing. Hi, Mark. Really enjoying the podcast. They become my number one item to check out immediately once I see the little update icon moving in iTunes. I'm looking for a small bit of advice. I want to write a novel. Wait, wait. Keep reading, please. 
but I'm being totally fucking paralyzed by this voice in my head that keeps telling me that every fucking line right beyond my killer opening sentence is complete shit. I start off doing the whole free writing bullshit, but even when I'm free fucking writing, it's in there with me. That voice, self-doubt, you suck, stop it, phony. I mean, what the fuck? You had Jerry Stahl on the other evening, and he was saying how one of his novels was initially 500 manuscript pages, single-spaced. So jealous. I can't even get three fucking pages down before I highlight and delete. So dot, dot, dot. I was wondering what your process is. Do you go through this stuff? Self-doubt and anger at not being able to put something on the page that you don't think is complete bollocks? Should doubt be used as fuel to keep going? Tell it to go fuck itself and keep writing no matter what? Is that how you get to the next level and find a muse that'll put up with you? Thanks, man. Great story the other evening, too, about that crazy bitch and her boyfriend. Not going to find gold like that on real radio. D. Uh, D, unfortunately, my process is exactly like yours. Hence the podcast. I wrote one book and the only reason that I was able to do it was because I had a deadline and I had a framework for it and I took the time to do it, but it was really the deadline. So if you can find somebody to offer you money for your novel, even if they're pretending, perhaps that'll help you. <laughs> Any kind of artificial deadline can work. Does, does, does D have something at, uh, in his possession that he really likes because he could get somebody to say, I will take that away from you in 20 days if you don't write X number of pages. Or if D, if you're involved with somebody, tell them to, no matter what, not have sex with you Yeah. until you've written 20 pages. What's that? What's that? That's a, that's a Greek uh, play, isn't it? Is it? Yeah. Uh, uh, Lysistrata, the, uh, the, the, the women of Greece are going to withhold sex uh, from their husbands until they stop the war. Wow. I think in this culture, that would cause the women to get hurt. <laughs> I think that idea wouldn't run with this culture. All right, so we'll do more emails another time. I want to thank you for uh, sending them all in. And by the way, you can go to WTFPod.com for all your Just Coffee needs and WTF needs, merchandise, linking up with Twitter, uh, emailing us. You can also get my CDs, my three CDs, tickets still available, not sold out, and final engagement right here on iTunes, if you're on iTunes. Uh, and I really appreciate you listening. So uh, thanks a lot.